Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen. Well, if you got a copy of God's Word, find it and begin to turn with me to um, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Before I begin this morning, though, let me uh, just say I'm, I'm very um, glad to be able to get up and preach this morning. Um, it's been a very tiring, long weekend. We had our uh, men's retreat this weekend, and let me just tell you, God's on the move in our men's ministry. Um, uh, those of us who were there, I think we would all agree that God uh, spoke. God had some things to to teach us and to share with us, and I, I pray that uh, you guys were as uh, moved as I was uh, as we shared together this weekend life, because that's what it's about, right? It's about coming together as men and sharing life together. So I'm just thankful. Hopefully, ladies, you found your guys to come home a little different than when you sent them out the door. So uh, that was the goal, was to uh, ask for life transformation, that God would do something to create us and make us different. So uh, the devil tried to shut that thing down, didn't he, Chris? We, we had a couple of obstacles to get there. The speaker that was supposed to speak this weekend backed out uh, on Wednesday from a family crisis. And so that left uh, me uh, having to try to, to put something together. And uh, we're just thankful to God that uh, we were able to do that. We were able to get together and uh, not cancel and just share together. Uh, and I think God blessed it and honored it. And I just pray that God will continue to grow the men of our church together because it's about this brotherhood that we share in Christ. And I'm excited about that. I tell you, the other thing I'm really excited about is all these names on the bulletin boards. I come in during the week when nobody's here and I have the opportunity to look at those names. And uh, I've been praying over a couple of names I see on the board. And uh, I got a name on the board. And I'm just excited about the fact that we are committing ourselves to pray for lost souls. Because I believe that's where it begins. It begins with us praying for the lost, the, the people around us. And we've sort of uh, been talking in this series, Evangelism 101, about what is it like or what should we be doing to have gospel conversations. I know we used to call that evangelism and sharing our faith, whatever those terms, but I kind of like the modern day term of having gospel conversations because that's what we really want to have. We want to engage people in a conversation of everyday life and turn that on its head to be a gospel conversation that folks would hear the truth of the gospel and we pray, and we are praying for those on the board, that they would be saved, that God would reach from heaven, shine the light of the gospel in their hearts, that they'd be redeemed. That's what we're praying. That's what we're asking God to do. And so we started off our little series, and I just want to review with you real quickly. We started off our series by saying that prayer really is the work of evangelism. You ought to be praying for lost friends, lost family, lost coworkers, lost neighbors, to be saved. That's the greatest thing you can do for somebody else is begin to pray that they would come to know Jesus. Then we said last time together, last week we said this, that relationships are the vehicle or a vehicle that God uses in evangelism. 
That is, that most of us have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through relationship. That doesn't mean that God can't save somebody who's sitting down reading their Bible and they get saved because the Word of God is the power of the salvation, right? That doesn't mean that can't happen, but most of us in this room, we came to know, the, came to know Jesus through a relationship with somebody else, whether that was mom and dad that led us to Christ or whether that was a friend, uh, whether it was maybe a co-worker, perhaps it was a preacher at a, at a service, but we, through relationship, ended up in that service. So through relationship, we come to know. So prayer is indeed the work. Relationships are a vehicle. Then gospel conversations are the power of salvation. Now, what I mean by gospel conversation is this, that you are sharing the gospel. If we really believe what Paul said in Romans 1, 16, that it is the power of God unto salvation, then we ought to be sharing the gospel. See, the problem that we've had with evangelism is that evangelism really has turned out to be church inviting. But we have drifted so far now that we're not even inviting people to church. Amen? I was uh, talking to uh, a lay person. I can't remember who it was. But they said that um, their pastor had challenged them to invite people to church. And so they decided, well, I'm going to try and see if it works. And they invited some friends, and some friends came to church with them. And they were telling me how amazed they were this friend came to church. And I said, you know what? The problem is not that people won't come to church. It's the problem that we are not inviting them to church. And I said, it's amazing that when you do what you're asked to do, if God says to connect with people and then try to give them a gospel conversation and you do that, it's amazing how God honors his word. And specifically, we begin to invite people to church. Listen, I promise you, if you will invite, they will come. They may not come this Sunday. They may come the next Sunday. And uh, one of the... One of the things Matt was telling a story, I'm going to share your story, but Matt was telling a story of an invite when they moved to a certain location, the neighbor came over and invited them to church and, and they didn't go that Sunday. And so after Sunday, he's, out, as he, he's washing his car outside, the neighbor drives up and invites him again, but says this time, after he gives the excuse, you know, the kids, you know, to get them ready, she offered to keep their kids and help get the kids ready to church so he can go to church the next day. Let me just tell you something. That may be a little too forward. I don't know, but, but the reality is... The reality is, Matt and Stacy came to church, and now look at them. They're servants here at Level Plains. So if we'll invite, people will come, but then if we have gospel conversations, people will get saved, I have no doubt. So let me quickly review then, what are we doing in gospel conversations? First of all, we're building these relationships, understanding that as we build relationships, here's what we're doing. Remember last week, we're listening to their story. Having a gospel conversation with somebody is listening to them. It's not about you. It's about them. And so you're listening to their story. What is their story? Everybody's got a story to tell. I'm not going to share any, any other story from this weekend, but everybody's got a story to tell. I found that out this weekend as I listened to men give their testimony. Everybody's been somewhere, some way in life, hurt or had disappointments or struggles. And listen, because of those things, everybody has a story. And so you and I, we listen for their story. And what we want to do is we want to bridge the gap. We want to bridge their story into our story, which is our testimony. What were you like before Jesus came into your life and saved you? What happened? What, what made you a changed person? 
And then what is your life like now? Our testimony ought to be fresh, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, it's not just about the fact that, hey, one day back in 1984, on December 31st at a New Year's Eve service, Mike Foreman got saved. And let me tell you how that happened, but let me tell you how my life is different right now. Not how it changed in 19... It was, it's not just the fact... Listen, it's not just the fact that I got assurance that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Listen, we have sold Jesus as life insurance or fire insurance for far too long. Yes, that's... Listen, that's a benefit. That, that's cream on top, right? That's the icing on the cake is I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. But listen, I have this living Lord Jesus Christ by which I have a relationship with every single day. And listen, when I go through discouragement, when I go through disappointment, when there is joyful times, in my life. I have somebody to look to, amen, who said that he, he would not leave me as an orphan, but listen, he would live in me. And he does so by the power and working of the Holy Spirit of God. When I go through discouragement, I'm comforted. When I go through sadness, he lifts me up, amen. When I go through joy, listen, he rejoices with me, amen. Amen. It's a living relationship that we have with Jesus right now. It's not about fire insurance, and so I have a living relationship with Jesus. So I build this bridge. And one of the things we didn't talk about last week together, but it may help you in your evangelism is this. Perhaps you ought to ask permission. Can I share with you what happened to me? Perhaps asking permission is sometimes a good thing. Amen? And I've found too that when I've used that method, when I've asked permission, can I share with you? People are a little bit more relaxed. And they're willing to let you share your testimony of what's happened to you. But ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Brothers and sisters, listen. you got to go beyond your testimony. You have to go into the gospel. And we talked last week. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ died for your sin according to the scriptures. That he was buried, but he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. We have to talk about the problem of sin and separation and damnation. We have to talk about the sacrifice that Jesus made once for all, for all sin on the cross of Calvary. We have to talk about his redemption there. His blood being spilt for us. Then we have to talk about he did die, but praise God, on the third day he rose from the dead and he's alive. Amen. We have to talk about that. Why? Because that's the gospel. So I told you that my goal through this series was to help us to begin to understand how we go from the gospel, sharing the gospel, so we lead into the gospel conversation. We've talked about that. Now I want to teach you how to get out. Matt, that'll help you this week, right? Help you get out. We, we just sort of joked about that this weekend. He said, talking about having a, a conversation with somebody, but he didn't know how to get out of it. So let's talk about how we can get out of a gospel conversation. Today, there's this argumentation, and I want to just talk about it for a minute because you're going to hear it. You're going to run into it eventually, and that is that some say never give an invitation. That is, you shouldn't give an invitation to receive the Lord Jesus Christ or to be saved. What I want to do is tell you I don't agree with that because every time I stand in the pulpit to preach, I'm looking for you to do something. Amen. I'm looking for action. I'm looking for something to happen. When I share the gospel, I want God to do something. I'm expecting God to do something. Now, is everybody going to get saved? Because I'm expecting, no, not everybody's going to get saved. Why? Because I believe, listen, I believe that the hardness of men's hearts. Listen, Jesus talked about that very well. Again, go back to John 3, 17. Men love darkness rather than light. They'd rather stay in their wickedness than change and give surrender or surrender to the Lordship of Christ. We'll talk about that towards the end of the sermon. But listen to me. I want, the reason why I give an invitation is because when I surveyed the Bible, 
What I find is that God is an inviting God. Amen? Listen to what the Isaiah says to us. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. He says, Ho, oh, he says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. So, oh, that's Old Testament. He's talking to Israel. Then why did Jesus use those same words? Jesus is an inviting Savior. Listen to John 7, verse 37. Jesus, on the day of the great feast, stands up. And here's what he said on the last day of the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You know, on that great day, the feast is that they're celebrating the feast of, of, uh, of uh, <clears throat> oh, it just went out of my mind. Great night. Have mercy on me. I'll come to it in a minute. You know, it's like those senior adults, you know, eventually it comes back. It'll trigger in my mind, you know, the file drawer will open and it'll come out. You know what I'm saying? In just a few moments. But, uh, so they're celebrating this great feast. At the end of this particular feast, at the end, they would take water and they would pour it onto the altar. And Jesus is using that imagery. He's saying, if you're thirsty, if you're spiritually dry, if you know you're bankrupt spiritually, come to me and drink. What a great invitation. Listen, not only is God an inviting God, not only is Jesus an inviting Savior, listen to me. Listen to me. The Bible is inviting. Listen to what John says as the premise of why he wrote his gospel. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he said, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The Bible is an inviting Bible. Listen, we need to offer people an opportunity. If we share a gospel presentation with them, Offer them an opportunity. But listen, here's the problem. The problem is not the invitation. It's what we say in the invitation. All right? Here's what I mean by that. Listen very carefully. First of all, we're not asking people, do you want to go to heaven? I don't think that's a proper invitation. Now, that is a benefit. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Praise God. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, God of glory, in heaven. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to heaven. But the invitation is not about do you simply want to go to heaven. That's not biblical. You find nowhere in the Bible where it says, after a gospel presentation, do you want to go to heaven? No, it's not about going to heaven. Listen, number two, it's not about joining a church. Amen? I get very discouraged and upset when I ask somebody their testimony. They say, well, I I joined the church in blank. And was baptized. Listen, folks, we're not asking people to join First Baptist Church of Level Plains. Now, praise God, if God opens their heart and, they, and they're saved, I hope they'll come here. I hope they'll be discipled here. I hope they'll grow up in Christ here. I hope they'll serve here. That's what I hope does happen. But listen, if they don't ever come here, if they get saved in Christ, I don't care. The reality is I pray they get saved. But listen, we got to quit inviting people just to say, well, You get saved and go to church. We equate church as salvation. That is not. That's going to lead people astray. That's going to lead people down the wrong path. That's wrong. I'm not going to ever be the pastor that's going to say, you know what? You're going to get saved. You need to join this church. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to throw church membership in there. That is not the case. So we're not seeking that. Listen, we're not asking them. Listen, here's the other thing. We're not asking them, hey, do you want a better life now? (laughs) I know I keep picking on that, but listen, the reality is there's so many people, that's what they're looking for. They think Jesus is sold as this, you know, 
get healthy pill. You know, have a better life now pill. Have this prosperity pill. And we tell people, if you want a better life, come to Jesus. Let me tell you something. When I got saved at 17, I learned really quickly after that. I learned really quickly after that that it wasn't my best life now. Amen? But I can tell you right now that no matter what I faced, no matter what I went through, and I'll just be honest and transparent. My wife's not here, so I guess I can be. I can talk about her. She's not here. But she would agree with us. The second year of our marriage... It almost was destroyed. I'm talking about it. It was going to dissolve. We, we had decided we, we're done. Forget it. I don't want to be married to you anymore. But let me tell you what God did. God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and our relationship with him, as we began to pray, as we began to seek that relationship, as we began to put Jesus back on the throne, and we began to submit our lives to him and quit doing things stupid and doing our own thing and trying to live our own way. Listen, God began to mend the heart. God began to show us that in his strength, in his power, in his mercy, through his word, we can have a biblically solid, repaired relationship. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not just make your life better now because that was not pleasant days in our life. And praise God, we can testify now it's better than it's ever been. And hallelujah, it is. And you pray for my bride. She's sick with pneumonia. But let me tell you something. You're going to go through crises and when we sell Jesus just, a, just a, a prosperity pill or have your best life now, the first time somebody says, I received Jesus, and they go through a difficult time, they're the very ones who would drop out of church and say, well, if I can just get my life back in line together, if I can just get over this crisis or whatever in my life, then I'll come back. Let me tell you something. That's not true salvation. <laughs> Amen? That's not true Christ following. Call it what it is. That's what I'm going to do. And then lastly, can I just tell you lastly what we're not asking them to do? And I know that I'm going to get some size, and I know I'm going to make some people mad. But please don't get mad at me because we don't find this in the scripture either. And I'm going to come back to it towards the end of the sermon, so please don't get upset. But I'm going to tell you that we're not asking people just to repeat a prayer after us. See, the problem, I think, sometimes is that what we do is we, we have people in a place where we share the gospel and we say, you just pray this prayer, you'll be saved. Let me tell you something. You got to pray a prayer to be saved. That's how you communicate to God, right? But let me just tell you something right quick. Without conviction, there is no salvation. People can pray a prayer, but without true conviction, there's no salvation. Can I tell you, people can, listen, there are people who know the truth of God's word. They know the gospel better than you do. But they are not going to make it to heaven. They're not going to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ because they're like the demons. We're reminded in the scriptures, right? Even the demons know the truth. They even shudder at the truth, but they don't believe. There's no conviction in their heart. Jesus is Lord. There's no salvation touching them. So we don't want somebody just to repeat a prayer after us. Amen? We want to, we want to see conviction. We want to know they're convicted and that they, they are believing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what are we asking people to do? Well, biblically, we find the answer in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and um, we'll walk through that, and then I'll talk about that, and then we'll sort of land the ship. So let me give you the context of Romans 10. Paul starts off in verse 1. We talked about verse 1 previously. We talked about that his heart's desire 
Paul really had this heart desire for men, for, for men of Israel, for the people of Israel to be saved. Let me tell you why. Because if you walk through the text, beginning down through verse 5, you'll find out that they had a very serious problem. Here's their problem. It's the problem that all men have when they come into the world. And that is this, that they try to live this righteous life by following a law. Now, here for the, the, the Jews, it was a particular law. But for most people, there's some kind of law they're living by. Whether it be good works... Whether it be joining a church, doing good things, giving money, giving to charity. They have this law by which they're living and it's called this self-righteousness. And so Paul begins to talk about it. He begins to dismantle this untruth that you and I cannot be made righteous by ourselves. It is impossible. So Paul quickly moves into verse 6. And down as he's following through verse 8, he begins to talk about this righteousness that comes as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus alone, it's what Jesus has done for us, by which we are made righteous. And so this morning, as we begin to move into verse 9 and verse 10, we have to keep the context in, in mind that if we really want to have a righteousness that is not our own, that does save and saves to the uttermost, then we must deny ourselves. And our way, and we must say Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the way of righteousness. For he is righteousness himself. Amen? And so Paul, as he's writing to them, begins to give us what somebody must do in order to be right with God. And don't misunderstand it. That's what we're asking people to do. When we give an invitation after the gospel, we're not asking people just to join a church. And all those things we talked about, we're asking people if they will make him the Lord of their life. Notice he says, verse 9, if you confess, conditional, class sentence, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, but that's not enough, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no iffiness in there, is there? Verse 10, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Did you notice what Paul did there? Paul talked about the same thing, but he put them in reversed orders. Did you notice that? Paul, if you look back at verse 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth, but then in verse 10, he says, for with the heart, one believes. He reversed the order on us. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because that's where it begins. It begins in the heart. A mouth will never confess Jesus is Lord until the heart is converted, until the heart is changed. So when we begin to think about this text of Scripture, we begin to think about with the heart and confession with the mouth, we need to talk about two primary things that the Bible says we're asking people to do when they get saved. First of all, we're asking, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Notice how he says it to us. Verse 9, he says it this way. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In verse 10, he says, for the, with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So what are we asking? With the heart, do you believe the gospel in your heart? The heart is that seat of man. The heart represents all that we are. It is all eternity or eternal. When, I, when I'm thinking, it's coming from the heart. When I speak, it comes from the heart. When I have wicked thoughts, it's coming from the heart. It's the seat of man. And here's what he's saying. 
When we're talking to somebody about the gospel, we ought to be asking them, do you believe this gospel? That is, do you have a conviction that stems from your heart? I'm not looking for an intellectual belief. I'm not looking for them to regurgitate. See, that's the problem with the prayer. The problem with the prayer is they can just regurgitate what you're asking them to say. Now, I want to know, do they understand the gospel? Do they understand, first of all, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures? That we are bankrupt spiritually? And that because we are in sin and he had to die for our sins means that we have an inability to do anything for ourselves? That means we cannot save ourselves. We cannot even move towards God because the Bible says no one seeks after him. But what does he do? He seeks after us. And so we talk about that nature of sin. Do they understand that they're born in sin? And that this sin separates them from God? And that there is nothing that they can do because of that sin? And there's only one way that sin can be absolved. There's only one way that sin can be forgiven. And that's through the sacrifice of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we talk about the things like Jesus died in your place. Amen? It was substitutionary. That is that he died in your place. You should have hung on the cross. You should have died there. You should have been crucified. You should have been damned. But he took it all on his own self for you. Be, why? Because Not because he was sin. Because he knew no sin. He became sin. Amen? He became the sin sacrifice for us. Do they understand that? Do they understand the exchange that took place at the cross of Jesus dying for their sin? You're saying, that sounds so complicated, preacher. Well, maybe I'm making it complicated, but it's not that complicated. Do they understand? They were se- you're separated. I mean, just go to the, the Bible verses you learned as kids, right? For the wages of sin is death. There you go. Just talk about what that means. Separated from God for all of eternity. You can't do anything to change that. It's what you earned. It's your wage. But the gift of God is eternal life through what? Jesus Christ. It's what he has done on the cross of Calvary for us. We need to talk about that. Listen, we need to understand that they have to understand the gospel. And we ought to be asking people, do you understand? Do you understand the truth? Do you understand the truth that Jesus died for your sins? Do you, do you, do you understand the truth that he was dead? I'm talking about dead, dead. I mean, he was, he was dead as a doornail, right? He couldn't, he didn't speak. He didn't move. He was wrapped up. He was anointed. They all knew he was dead. They laid him in a tomb. He was dead. And he laid there three silent, quiet days. He was dead. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. And instead of you dying, he died for you. Amen. But let me tell you something. Seth, on the third day, he rose from the dead. Amen. Paul, you read Paul's writings in Romans. Go back to the early chapters of Romans. And he says that his resurrection, listen, his resurrection equated to your righteousness. See, let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, if he's still in the grave and he's dead, then we might as well close up our Bibles, quit singing, go home and quit. Amen? We're wasting our time. But let me tell you, he's not. He's alive. He is alive. And he lives to make intercession for us at the right hand of God. Amen. He is alive. Thank God that he's alive. And Paul says to us in this text, notice he says in the text specifically this resurrection, because notice what he says. Do we believe in our heart that God raised him? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? That is the central point because listen, he says over in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17, listen to what he says. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're in your sins. That is the heartbeat Listen, that is the heartbeat of the Christian gospel. We got a living God. Every other God, every other religious leader is in a grave. Jesus is not. 
And notice as a result, notice what Paul says. If we believe, listen, for with the heart, verse 10, for with the heart one believes. What is the result? The result is the word righteousness. Can I tell you what righteousness is? It is giving us, listen, it is giving us what we don't deserve. That is, you and I do not deserve righteousness. Why? Because it requires righteousness to go to heaven. It requires righteousness to be in relationship, a restored relationship with God the Father. And so we receive this righteousness that comes from the cross of Calvary through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is what the theologians would say is imputed to us. Simply means it's been given to us. If I go to the bank this afternoon and I take your bank account and I withdraw every dollar you have in that bank account. And then in its place, I put $4 million. You're going to be a happy person, aren't you? But that's the idea. Although there's no price tags. That is that Jesus came to my life. And through his glorious gospel, when he saved me, what he did is he went into my heart and he withdrew the sin and the wickedness, the, the sin debt that I deserved. He withdrew and he deposited in my account his perfect righteousness. I don't deserve that. I didn't earn that. I cannot keep it. Listen, he did it for me. Amen. That's the gospel. <laughs> That's the gospel. And that's what results when one believes. Do you believe the gospel? But the second question we ought to be asking is not only do they believe the gospel, but listen, do you confess Christ as Lord? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Notice what he says in the text. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, is he Lord of your life? That is when when Paul talked about Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. (laughs) Think about that. When, When salvation takes place, God gives us the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ by imputation to us. But when we confess that Jesus is Lord, we say we, we realize that our life is no longer our own. It's his. I surrender it all, the song says, to him. And all to him I owe. Why? Because it's through his sacrifice. It's through his taking my sin upon himself. It's through his resurrection that he imputes his righteousness that gives me the ability to confess Jesus is Lord. By the way, you won't confess he's Lord unless you're converted in the heart anyway. Unless the Spirit of God saves you, you're not going to be able to do that anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. He says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The only way that you and I can truly say that he's Lord is that in our hearts, listen, in our heart first, In our heart first, don't miss the point. In our heart first, there has been a working of God by which he has imputed his righteousness to us and redeemed us. And out of the heart, listen, out of the heart, the Bible says the mouth speaks. So it's out of the heart of conversion that my mouth can say, you're Lord, you're Lord.
And if Jesus isn't Lord, how in the world can he be your Savior? How can he be your Savior? Notice the result, right? The result is, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's that word, saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made. Here's the result, unto salvation. Salvation is really being rescued from what we do deserve. What do we deserve? Let me tell you something, folks. We forget about this, don't we? We look at lost people and go, boy, they got tattoos and they're making all these crazy decisions and they do all these crazy things and we're quick to want to judge them. But isn't that after all what God rescued us from? But more importantly, God rescued us from his own wrath. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The wrath of God's already abiding. Remember we talked about that several years ago. I preached a sermon series on that. There's already this wrath of God that abides on lost men. Listen, God rescued you from that. God rescued you from spiritual death. He rescued you from damnation. Amen? But he didn't just save you from hell so you can go to heaven. No, he rescued you from sin and the grave. Listen, and separation. Why? So he can have a relationship with you right here in the present. Right here in the right now. And it's by virtue of that relationship you're going to be in heaven. Why? Because it continues on. The relationship doesn't die when we die. It continues on. Why? Because Jesus said, if you believe in me, though you die, yet you shall live. And he who dies and believes in me shall continue to live. Right? It's this relationship that we continue to live in. It never ends. So the result is salvation. There's what we ought to offer. Now, let me sort of land the sermon, okay? Because I know that we need to land the sermon. When we give an invitation, we ask people, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe this truth? Do you, do you believe this? Do you confess this? What we want to do from there, and here's what we want to do with the gospel. And I want to land it in a practical sense. Let me just walk you through a gospel conversation coming to an end And it plays into the sermon. Number one, ask for clarity. Do they understand the gospel? Give a clear presentation of the gospel. Do they understand the gospel? Now listen, just because they understand what you said doesn't mean they necessarily understood the gospel. There has to be conviction. You'll know if the Spirit of God's working. I promise you, you'll know. Because the Spirit of God's working in their life, if you're sharing the gospel, he's working in your life. I promise you'll know. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to give direction. You're going to ask them, listen, here's what you're saying to them. Here's the true invitation that we've given them. Will you, will you believe? Will you confess? But here's, here's how we could phrase that. We can say, understanding the truth of this gospel, would you like to repent of your sins? And would you like to receive, listen, would you like to receive the forgiveness of that sin? Because listen, read the book of Acts. You know what you find in the book of Acts? Everybody that ever responded to the gospel invitation, it was never, do you want to go to heaven? Will you pray this prayer? It was always about, will you, do you believe this gospel? And second, it was about, would you like to receive the forgiveness of your sins? Because that's what it's about. And then it's thirdly, it's about faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to be saved. So it's about faith. So we're asking them to repent because they believe in the gospel And to confess that, yes, I I do believe this gospel, Jesus is the Lord of my life. But it's not about, again, it's not about any of those other things we've talked about. And then here's what I would encourage you to do. 
I would not encourage you, and, and I've gotten out of this habit that I don't do this anymore. I don't say, well, man, I'm glad you understand. Can I lead you in prayer? You just follow after me. I don't do that anymore. Because I believe what John MacArthur said. Here's what John MacArthur said. The problem with the church today is not follow-up. See, we worry about follow-up. We worry about, we go out there and we do evangelism. We worry about follow-up. Are, are those people going to come to church? Are they going to follow through? Let me tell you something. If a heart gets converted by the power of God, you don't have to do all that stuff. Amen. I'm just going to tell you, you don't have to do that stuff. Why? I can just tell you from my own life, when I was 17, living in a pagan home, nobody told me I had to get up and go to church on Sunday. Nobody told me I had to clean my mouth up. Nobody, nobody told me to, you know, quit doing some of the things I was doing. Well, they did. It was called the Word of God. It was called the, the Word that God was implanting in me as I was reading the truth of the Word. So nobody had to tell me, you know. I, I mean, I just, you know, sometimes people look at their preacher and go, boy, he's always been a preacher. I've not always been a preacher. <laughs> you know, I've been a layman. Marie and I were, were lay people for eight years before we surrendered to called ministry, whatever that is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, 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 we know what it's like to keep our kids up till 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night because we went to church on Wednesday night. We made those sacrifices. Why? Not because somebody told me I had to. You know why I did it? Because the Spirit of God led me to be with God's people on Wednesday night. Sunday night. Remember Sunday night church? <laughs> you, remember, you remember discipleship training? Went to all those things. Why? Not because somebody said, well, man, if you're a good Christian, you're going to go to those things. No, because the Spirit of God said, Mike, if you want to grow in Christ, one of the ways you can grow in Christ is get in that class, that teacher, and spend some time. With, and, every, and every teacher that taught, whether it was a layman or whether it was my pastor, I spent time with. I went to class early because I knew they could speak into my life and they could disciple me. And praise God, out of that relationships came a, you know, a deeper walk for me. I was the one to benefit from that. So, so we need to be talking to people. And here's, here's, what I do, here's what I do with people. I say, can I pray for you? And here's what I pray. Lord, you know that so-and-so has just heard the gospel God, I pray you do a work in their heart. I pray that they will discover you and know you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. That's all I pray for people. And if they feel like they're left hanging, I had one time where I was giving a gospel presentation to somebody in a restaurant. He felt a little like he was hanging in there, you know, and and he's like, he looked at me and started to cry. And he said, Mike, he said, what do I do? I said, talk to God talk to God. How? How do I talk to God? Just tell him what's in your heart. <laughs> tell him what's going on right now. Because here's the thing about it is, isn't it far better for him to talk to God or for me to talk to God for him and for him to follow me? So much a lot better because you know what? I find it sticks a little better that way. Amen. It's out of his heart. Why? Because if conversion comes, the spirit is given him. Guess what? The spirit intercedes with our spirit, but the spirit intercedes with the father. And then he says to the father, Hey, so-and-so is praying. He may not know how to pray this salvation prayer. He may not know what he's really doing right now, but he believes the gospel and he's confessing your lordship in his life. And, and so he, he prays an intercession for us. Amen. Do you believe that? I believe that. You may not, but I believe that. Lastly, what do you do? Listen, if there's no decision, don't push. Don't be pushy. Listen, anything you push somebody into, you can get out of. Amen. I can tell you, you ever buy anything on impulse? Anybody in here ever, like me, bought something on impulse? I bought some things on impulse, and you know what I've done after I realized I bought something on impulse? <laughs> I went back the next day with it in hand, sheepishly, and said, I really don't want this. <laughs> I bought this on impulse, and I don't want this. And it's usually because Marina said, you bought that on impulse, and I have to take it back. 
So I'll just confess the truth. But it's usually that way, Steve. And it's usually like technology or something, you know, I love, you know, I like to play with. Listen, that's what people will do with salvation. Listen, if you push them and if you pressure them, listen, let me just tell you something. You can pressure them in, the devil's going to pressure them out. But more importantly, listen, if it's not true, it's not going to take anyway. And I don't want somebody praying a prayer after me. Listen, I don't want somebody praying a prayer after me and it not take and them think 20 years down the road when they're in the deathbed, well, I prayed this prayer with this preacher, Mike. And so I, I know I'm saved. Listen, it's not because I prayed a prayer, I'm saved. Right? It's because I believe the gospel and confessed him as Lord that he saved me. Does that make sense? So here's the invitation this morning. Are you praying? You praying for those names out there? Then here's what I want you to do. I made up these little cards that says, I want to have a gospel conversation with, and you put a little name at the bottom. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, if you put a card on the board back there, I'm going to ask you, there's pens in the pews, is to get a pen and come up here and get a card, write the name of that person underneath here, and replace their name on the board with this card. And we're going to be praying for you that you're going to have a gospel conversation with this individual. And then take the name, the name card that's out there and slip it in your pocket. And here's what I want you to do. Guys, carry it around in your billfold. Then when you open up to make a payment, that name's going to pop up and you're going to pray for that person. Ladies, put it in your purse where you keep your debit card. That way when you go to pray, you can pull that. They're small enough to do that or you can trim it down to make it fit. That way it just keeps it constantly before us. We want to pray, pray, pray like we never prayed before for these folks. And then here's what I want you to do. Commit to have a gospel conversation with these folks. We've told you how. We've told you about the gospel. But again, I'm preaching for movement. I'm not preaching just to make you feel fuzzy today. I want you to do something. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to pray. But I want you to commit to say, I want to have a gospel conversation with this person. Put their name on the board. We're going to keep praying. We're going to be praying for you as you work and as you do this. That's what we're going to ask you to do. Some of you here today... Perhaps maybe you heard the gospel the first time. You thought the gospel was joining a church, being a good person, giving money. Maybe you thought, you know, I just clean my act up. I'll be okay. Let me tell you, that's impossible. You can't clean up your act. There's only one person that can clean you. That's Jesus. And he does it by his washing of his blood. And maybe today, you know, you, you're saying, you know, preacher, I'd like to talk to you about a gospel conversation. I'll be standing at the front. You just come and engage me because you know what I believe is an invitation? I believe the invitation, that's the start of a gospel conversation. I may not be able to tell you everything, but I can tell you enough that you can know the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I can tell you enough to get you started in a gospel conversation. You come. I'd love to have a gospel conversation with you. I love it even more when people come to me and ask. So you come. You'll be a part of that this morning. Maybe God's spoken to you about uniting with our church. You say, you know what? I want to be a part of a church that's committed to the gospel. I want to be a part of a church that's committed to biblical preaching and singing. And that's committed to reaching people. I want to invite you to come this morning. Come be a part of our fellowship. So let's stand together. Brother Tim, you come. You lead us in worship. Father, as we thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.